Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson, and you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Free speech versus defamation. What we say, can it be held against us? Well, if you're Alex Jones, apparently so. Democrats can say whatever they want. They can spread, oh, Donald Trump stole the election from Hillary Clinton in 2016. If conservatives try and say it back, well, they need to be suppressed online. Let's talk about this nearly billion dollar judgment with my good friend, the judge. His name is Judge Andrew Napolitano. He is the host of the Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your favorite podcasting networks. And he is also the author of a weekly column, which you can read at judgenap.com. He's joining us right now, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Good morning, Judge. Thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, good morning, Austin, my dear friend. Thanks for having me uh, with you. I, I look forward to these uh, Wednesday morning. So there was emptiness in my heart last week when you were away. <laughs> well, that, thank you, Judge. We're glad to have you here. Uh, the The story of the day is nearly a billion dollars will be extracted from Alex Jones if this verdict is uh, upheld in the case of Sandy Hook parents who sued him for defamation. Um, my father, you know, contacted me about this last week and said that you know he's no big Alex Jones fan, but he's something just doesn't sit well with him about this, and I, I sort of feel the same way, Judge. What are your thoughts on this case? Do you think that it, this will be upheld? I don't think it will be upheld, but it's going to have to go all the way to the Supreme Court uh, of the United States, because without getting too into the weeds, the judicial system in the state of Connecticut has carved out an Alex Jones exception to the general protection, the First Amendment protection for the expression of opinions. So, Everybody knows that we're talking about. We're talking about a monumental tragedy and horrific crime where a crazy young man uh, took uh, a weapon that he found in his parents' home and slaughtered 20 children and six adults at the Sandy Hook Elementary School uh, in Newtown, uh, Connecticut. Uh, Alex Jones expressed the opinion that this was staged uh, but who believes the government anyway? Why should we believe them now? And he threw out some snippets of odd behavior by the po people surrounding this to, uh, to support the opinion. Of course, it wasn't staged. It was real. There was real suffering, real death, uh, real, real horror, real uh, terror. But Alex Jones expressed an opinion on a matter of public interest. The matter of public interest was a public massacre. Uh, the right to keep and bear arms, mental health, safety in schools, uh, free speech. And when the parents, the surviving parents of these slaughtered children sued Alex Jones for defamation and for intentional infliction of emotional distress, and Jones's lawyers moved to dismiss the complaint on the grounds that his speech was protected by the First Amendment, as all opinions are when you give a reason for the opinion. I'm gonna jump aside for a minute. The value of an opinion on a matter of public interest challenges the, the orthodox belief in the matter of public interest and causes people to look at it in a different way. And that advances the goals of democracy, which is public policy based on an examination of all issues. That's the reason that we protect opinion. But when Alex Jones moved to dismiss the case, and somebody planted um, child pornography in the digitized version of the documents that Alex Jones was compelled to send to the plaintiffs. And Jones accused the plaintiffs' lawyers of doing it. The judge 
was so outraged at this, not at the presence of child pornography, but at Alex's allegation that the plaintiff's lawyers had planted it, that she denied the motion to dismiss, not on the merits. She didn't examine the law. She didn't examine the Supreme Court opinions. She didn't examine what I just explained is the reason why opinions are protected. She sounded like George Orwell when she said, this is not an opinion, it's a non-opinion and therefore it's not protected. And the Supreme Court of Connecticut in a seven to nothing vote upheld that. So there never was a trial on the merits. There never was a, was a legal argument on the merits. There was just a judicial determination that what Alex said was so outrageous that it's a non-opinion, therefore it's not protected, therefore he loses as a matter of law, therefore the only issue is how much money does he owe? And between the two trials over what he owes, one in Austin, Texas, and one in New Haven, Connecticut, the, the total that he owes, if this is not interrupted or interfered with by saner judicial heads, is a billion dollars for expressing an opinion. Now, you and I and a lot of our colleagues are in the opinion expressing business. Should we be afraid to express an opinion? Well, yes, I mean, Alex never set foot in Connecticut. He gives his broadcast in Texas. Yet, because he was sued in this hard left state that doesn't care about freedom of speech and where the judges are properly elected and they want to ride the, the crest of the wave of popular opinion, public opinion, which in this case was to demonize Alex, they'll change the law to suit public opinion. They'll eviscerate somebody of their basic natural and constitutional rights and a profound injustice will result. I'm sorry for such a long-winded answer, but the public needs to know what happened here. This Absolutely. was not a trial on the merits. This was a summary determination by a, a political hack in a black robe who simply said, this is a non-opinion. George Orwell warned about the change in human life because of the change in the meaning of words. Yeah, Judge, we love to have you on the show, and certainly we bring you here on to hear your opinions on that one. So, you know, rant all you want for as long as you want. It also gives me a nice little break. You can send a text to the show. <laughs> you can you can text the show at 573-319-1586. One listener texted in with a question here, Judge, a statement, but I think it actually leads to a good question. He said where he, Alex Jones, said the parents were lying, though. There is the defamation component. Is that the case? That's the uh, case as the plaintiffs see it. Uh, the case as the Constitution sees it is that free speech trumps these defamation rights because it's a matter of public interest about which you can say anything. If this were a private matter and he accused the uh, parents of lying, that would be a different story. But when the parents go on public uh, on uh, on the public airways themselves in order to affect the public opinion, they are what's called limited purpose public figures and they are fair game. And, and opinion allows you to say whatever you want. You know, a, a person whose philosophical works you and I admire very much, though he was an economist, uh, the late great Professor Murray Rothbard, argued that there should be no libel, slander, and defamation cases, that you should literally be able to say whatever you want, and, and ideas and thoughts should rise in the, in the marketplace of ideas, not, uh, not in a courtroom. I'm not quite there, 
Before I was on the bench, my career was devoted to defending the First Amendment rights of media publications. And I defended publications from the New York Times down to an old left-wing rag called the Soho News. By the way, I became great friends with the people that ran that, that thing. Um, uh, but, the, but the issue is, which is the greater good? The salvation of a person's reputation or the freedom uh, to speak your mind on a matter of public interest? And in my view, the Supreme Court in Brandenburg, which is uh, the leading Supreme Court case that the Connecticut courts rationalize themselves around, says the greater good is, a ma- is the right to speak your mind on a matter of public interest. Now, Judge, knowing that, uh, you know, the possibility is that this could go to the Supreme Court and knowing the ideological makeup of the Supreme Court, do you think that there's a good chance that this will be overturned and that, uh, you know, Alex will be exonerated? I do. Um, this court has been very, very uh, pro uh, First Amendment. Um, and the leader of the that First Amendment movement on the court is the Chief Justice. So I think he would clearly be with the conservatives. There might even be one or two uh, from the left wing of the court who will see this purely as a matter of free speech rather than as a matter uh, of public outrage. Um, you know, if public outrage is the standard then you and I are, and, 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 and all of our colleagues from Alex Jones to, to Tim Pool to Joe Rogan to Dave, Dave Rubin, we're all out of business because we're in the business of stirring the pot and causing people to look at issues from a human rights, the human is responsible, government is the negation of liberty from that perspective. So the First Amendment guarantees freedom of speech from all levels of government, local, state, federal, and from all branches of the government, legislative, executive, judicial. Okay, a judge can stop you from giving a speech in the courtroom. The police can stop you from using a sound truck in a residential neighborhood at three in the morning. I get it. There's a time, place, and manner for speech. But on your own show, on a matter of public interest, you should be able, you should be free to speak your mind. That's not me. That's Brandenburg versus Ohio, the seminal Supreme Court opinion on this. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Judge Andrew Napolitano. He is the host of the Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your devices, as well as a weekly column at judgenap.com. His column this week will deal with this issue we're discussing right now. Now, Judge, I'm, I'm not sure if you're as familiar with Kanye West now being sued by the family of George Floyd for his comments. Kanye West came out this week and said that he said that that George Floyd died of fentanyl poisoning, not because, you know, Derek Chauvin put his knee on his neck. He's now being sued for a hundred million dollars by the family of George Floyd. Do you have an opinion on that case? It it should, it should be summarily dismissed for two reasons. Uh, One, uh, it's an opinion on a matter of public interest. Two, George Floyd's family has already, uh, well, they've suffered greatly but they've already experienced their increase in wealth from uh, the city of Minneapolis because of what happened. So they, they don't, they have no, no losses. George Floyd uh, is dead. Uh, and there's, there's really no cognizable uh, plaintiff uh, in this case. If they think a dead man's reputation is worth money when they've already been paid for his death, 
that's a, a bizarre uh, twist on the law. As for the substance of, uh, of what he said, there's some evidence for that. Uh, the substance of what he said was offered in, in, in the defense case. I believe that the defendant was quite properly convicted and quite properly sentenced, and his behavior was horrific, murderous, and, and both outcomes were just. The civil case brought by the George Floyd family and the criminal case uh, brought by the feds and the state, although I'm, I'm, I'm not in favor of the feds and the state bringing criminal cases on the same matter. I think that's a violation of double jeopardy. Nevertheless, the first case, the state case, produced a, uh, a just outcome. But you can't defame the dead. That's clear uh, in American jurisprudence. Yes. And that, uh, if you could defame the dead, then everything we've said about FDR would get us in a lot of trouble. If you're just tuning into the show, <laughs> we're just speaking to Judge Andrew Napolitano right now. Uh, and you can text us at 573-319-1586 if you have a question for the judge. Judge, I'd like to dwell, uh, delve into big brain territory to go, go back into like a philosophical discussion, especially specifically related to Alex Jones. I'm not sure if you heard some of the comments that he made recently. He went on a, a show with uh, Stephen Crowder, another conservative pundit, and they both came out very recently, uh, very strongly against libertarians, people like you and and, and me. Uh, Alex Jones said specifically that uh, because of the behavior of libertarians in recent years, that he and, and Ale uh, Stephen Crowder agreed with him are now anti-libertarians, um, you know, opposed to libertarianism. Yeah. And, and I see your facial expression on that. It was something that I guess didn't surprise me because we've seen a lot of people judge that came in during the Ron Paul years, turn against us, turn against our ideas and join this new populist movement because they claim that libertarianism doesn't offer the kind of strength that's needed to fight, you know, in the face of leftist tyranny, that the answer to it is a form of right-wing tyranny. Alex, Jones has embraced this. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I didn't know that he had done that, and I'm sorry to hear it. I, I think I know him pretty well, and his views are quite libertarian. He may disagree with the, if you'll forgive this phrase, mainstream libertarian movements in the country, the remnants of the Ron Paul uh, movement, this crowd that wants to run Dave Smith for president of the United States, nothing against Dave, I, I love the guy, but I think that's the people that he uh, is, uh, uh, the group that he's objecting to. But in turn, and, and I can't really get into his head on this, Alex sometimes changes his mind. You know, he and I disagreed profoundly uh, on whether uh, Donald Trump was uh, worthy to be president from the basis of his human character Alex now uh, says that Donald Trump is not worthy to be president on, on the basis of his human character, not on the basis of his views. I mean, I've disagreed with libertarians on this, calling Trump an authoritarian, which is the opposite uh, of, uh, of a libertarian. But we, we, know, we know that if you reject the idea of natural human rights, that our rights come from our humanity, that the highest right is the right to live, that the individual is sovereign and not the state, that government consists of negating liberty, that government is just a monopoly of force uh, in, a, in a geographical uh, area. This, this brings you to totalitarianism. This, this brings you to the march away from liberty, which Jefferson predicted in one of his last letters 
to John Adams shortly before the two of them uh, died, and which we have seen as a steady, slow march ever since then. Government grows and liberty shrinks. Without a liberty movement, without people who recognize that the individual is sovereign and not the state, democracy will fall of its own weight. People will use the government to grab as many goodies as they can from uh, everybody else, and there will be no liberty left. And then we'll start all over again. Your uh, grandchildren may very well see the collapse of the federal government and the country breaking off into smaller republics. And because they will have been taught by you, they will know to go to the republic where there's the most liberty. Judge, and one, one final sort of conversation, you know, starter on this one before I let you go. Uh, again, big brain stuff, uh, the kind of insider knowledge that I think, you know, that you don't get in a lot of other podcasts. But uh, have you noticed this, Judge? This is an observation that I've made. And I've been, you know, fighting for liberty for about 15 years now since I, you know, first got into the movement to support Congressman Ron Paul. But what I noticed is. Many of those happy years we fought side by side. That's right. And we still are, Judge. Um, but one of the things that I notice is that you'll have people who will come into the libertarian movement and they will get frustrated with the amount of progress that's being made over, you know, one, two, three, four years. And they will then go and embrace authoritarianism. They will go and embrace, embrace authoritarian ideologies and they will, they will come in as libertarians, but they will go out as authoritarians. Is this a trend that you have noticed as well? Because it's, it's deeply, yes. it's deeply concerning to me to see so many former friends, you know, looking at us as if we are naive for holding on to these principles of liberty that they claim to espouse, but because the, the timeline hasn't been fast enough, they go and embrace, you know, either left-wing socialism or right-wing socialism? I'm sorry to say that, uh, that I agree with you. They are uh, tired uh, of waiting for the government to be dialed back, and so they want their share of goodies uh, that government gives away. I, I think a lot of people on January 6th were libertarians who, who just had lost their uh, patience and they were willing to engage in violence in order to prevent the peaceful uh, transfer of government. I was ashamed of them and deeply disappointed when I, I learned that I knew uh, some of them. Um, I don't know what the answer to this is, uh, Austin, other than the patient discussion of these things like uh, we're doing now. But libertarianism in the modern era in America was at its peak when it had a hero, uh, and the hero was utterly, utterly faithful to uh, first principles, and that was Ron Paul. Uh, now, Ron Paul is semi-retired now, and I I'm sorry to say that libertarianism needs another hero. The reason I say I'm sorry to say it is that I don't believe in the great man version uh, of liberty because that leads to too much power in the hands of the great man. But a truly great man would, would lead his people to a, a place of liberty and then eschew the power that they want to give to him because power resides and comes from the human heart. It doesn't come from the collective. 
This is the Cincinnatus theory of government, right? The uh, the the George Washington theory of government, and, and this this really is the heart of it, Judge. You you've nailed this because I've been trying to have this discussion with with so many former libertarians, you know, calling themselves now populists or national conservatives, because they say that what's the point of having power if you don't use it? They they look at conservatives and libertarians who gain power, who win elections, who then don't go out there and force their vision of society on others, and, and they. They claim that that people like us are weak because they say, what's the point of having power if you don't use it? But I mean, they don't they don't think about what George Washington did. They don't think think of of the you know the society of of Cincinnati, right? And and that story. But I mean, that truly is what separates the good men from evil, isn't it? it isn't that the basis yes. for which what we determine? You know, who are the good yes, guys versus you, the bad guys? I'll give you a good example today of an heir uh, to Ron Paul, and that's Congressman Thomas Massey. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey is so faithful to first principles, even if what the Congress is attempting to do is objectively correct, proper, and good. If it's not authorized by the Constitution, Congressman Massey uh, will vote against it. So the the libertarians that have left the movement to become national conservatives, a phrase that terrifies me because it's got intimations of telling people uh, how to live, in their hearts would agree with Massey, but Massey is a, is a superb gold standard example of eschewing power, not using power to tell, or, tell others how to live, but keeping power uh, in its place. Ron Paul was the same. There are very, very uh, few human beings, you know, the uh, traditional Christians believe that Jesus on the cross eschewed power. He could have used his power to slay his enemies, but he didn't because he knew greater good would come from his own uh, sacrifice. Uh, Thomas Massey, Ron Paul, you or I, if we were voting with them, would be of the same view. We're not going to tell people how to live. We're not going to disrupt the federal uh, structure. We're not going to take back human liberty because we have a better idea of life than others do. The individual is sovereign. The government is a negation of liberty. Go that government is best, which governs least. And that government is better, which governs not at all. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Judge Andrew Napolitano, the host of the Judging Freedom Podcast. I took Jefferson to, I took Jefferson to an extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that is great stuff, Judge. We love you very much. What an intellectual feast it is to have these conversations with you, Austin, as you we once had at your cubicle or at my couch at Fox News for a couple of years. <laughs> Maybe again one day. Judge Napolitano, host of the Judging Freedom Podcast. You can download on any of your mobile devices. Read his weekly column at judgenap.com. Judge, thank you for your time today. All the best, Austin. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. We'll talk to him again next Wednesday, of course, at 8 a.m. Central Time. Judge Napolitano's great interviews. What do you think about that? Did you like it? Send us a text, 573-319-1586. You don't get that anywhere else. When we come back, we'll talk to Missouri State Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick about him pulling out Missourians' pension funds from BlackRock over their ESG policies. Another great interview and a conversation you won't hear anywhere else. Not in the mainstream media, not in the alternative media, only here on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. 
www.ebuyingwealth.com. Want an engaging website to boost your business? You're just a click away from five-star Fiverr talent. Hundreds of freelancer skills like web design, 